Pure Dog Talk is the voice of purebred dogs. We talk to the legends of the sport and give you the tips and tools to create an awesome life with your purebred dog. From showing to preservation breeding, from competitive obedience to field work, from agility to therapy dogs, and all the fun in between, your passion is our purpose. Welcome to Pure Dog Talk. I am your host, Laura Reeves, and I'm really excited because I get to have one of my dearest friends join me on the podcast today. I have known Kelly Shupp since she was, as they say, knee-high to a tadpole. I can remember <laughs> doing bumper cars with her and my assistant like 20 years ago. <laughs> and so we're taking an opportunity this month to really talk to some of the top handlers, people that won groups at the AKC National Championship. And Kelly was there handling Josie, the Spinoni Italiano. Full disclosure, Josie was born and raised at my house and I picked her out. So there's a little bit of special connection here. Pure Dog Talk is proudly sponsored by Trupanion, medical insurance for the life of your pet. Trupanion loves helping pets get the care they need. That's why they're excited to announce that they've officially paid out over $2 billion, that's with a B, billion dollars in veterinary claims. That's two billion reasons for more tail wags and treats. That's 730,000 pets that got the care they needed. Trepanion would like to thank all of the owners and breeders who've trusted them over the last 22 years. If you're part of the Trepanion Breeder Support Program, don't forget to register your upcoming litters for their go-home day offers. That way you can send them home protected by Trepanion's world-class coverage. If you're not part of the program yet, what, what, what? it's completely free to join and lets you send your litters home with an offer for a full Trupanion insurance policy that waives the waiting periods. To learn more and to sign up, just visit my partner page at puredogtalk.com. Welcome, Kelly. Super excited to have you here. <laughs> I'm excited to be here. Excellent. So give us, you know the deal. 411, second generation dog person. Tell me all about it. So I started in juniors. My mom started in Chesapeake's actually doing obedience and field work. And then she got a wire hair because she wanted a more versatile to do upland and waterfowl. So we got our first wire hair in the mid 90s. And mm -hmm. I grew up with the breed. And it went from there. I worked for handlers growing up through juniors, all through high school into college. I had an amazing opportunity after college to move to Brazil and work in a kennel down there for Mr. Malzoni with Max and Livia Kreiner. Some of the handlers that I work for, Kelly Fitzgerald and Chris Berg, Jane and Greg Myers, Phil and Amy Booth, just to name a few, Angie Lloyd. So I was blessed with some really great influences in my life and in my career. You were almost raised by Damara Bolte, which I think is pretty amazing too. Yeah, I got to go to her house. The first puppy that I got from her, I guess I was like 14 and I got her for a junior's dog. And then I went on to use a couple of other dogs from her kennel. And then I got Ramses when I was like 17, got to win the national with him, all Reveille born dogs. And mm -hmm. yeah, very blessed to have many coffee conversations with her. And still to this day, actually, mom and I are trying to set something up next week before we get going crazy again. 
Right. Well, you know, I look at somebody like you and I think, oh, my God, the treasures of your childhood, what you were blessed with makes me envious fully. (laughs) Absolutely. And so tell us then, how does that translate into you have a skill set to run a rare breed, like wreck records, you know, all kinds of stuff. What are some of the teaching moments that you brought you helped Phil when he was running your wire-haired pointer, Oakley, to the number one dog all breeds. Talk about some of that. What do you carry forward from that? So a lot. I mean, a little bit of uh, hostility towards my mother for picking difficult breeds, as she is my biggest client. But no, it is a special thing to run a rare breed they're not all judges, it's not a golden retriever, it's not a Springer Spaniel. It's not an Irish setter. <laughs> right. You know, they're not always in the placements. And Josie proved, you know, either she was in or she was out. There was a very rare occasion that I made a cut in a group and didn't place. And she had only three reserve best in shows and 12 best in shows. So, you know, either they appreciate what they are or they don't. And we know at this point, after going through it, Phil and I are very close from Oakley. And then obviously he did it with the legato and he helped me a lot this year with the Spinoni because there's judges that'll point to rare breeds and that there's judges that just won't. And we talk about these high end campaigning ideas and things like that, the ins and outs, you know, it's a game, right? And we learn the certain pieces, the certain chess pieces that fit and with a rare breed, they're very specific for sure. And then there's the shockers. There's the ones that you'd like, oh, this person doesn't even know what breed this is and best in show. And then boom, there you go. Right. And those are honestly the most fun because you don't even see them coming. So those were some great memories this year. As far as campaigning, I have a great group of friends. We all work together. Joanne was obviously number one sporting dog this year in our group of friends. Adam and I and her talked about schedules many times. And There were weekends where we wanted to avoid each other and Mm -hmm. weekends where we were like, let's just go and have fun. And we are all so supportive of each other, Megan, Katie, Adam, Joanne, Peter, and we all compete in the same group week in and week out and tough, tough sporting groups in the East. It just makes winning that much more fun because we are all there for each other and we all can be supportive of each other. Well, and I think you made a really super important point when we were talking offline that so many of the big winners really this year are young people. You know, I think we're really seeing, I'm seeing, I'm sure you are as well, really a sea change, you know, a generational change taking place now. You know, the pandemic is over. A lot of people who were close to retirement are like, okay, you know, peace, man. Yeah. So talk a little bit about that and the benefits and what are some of the drawbacks? Like, what do you miss about some of the people that have decades in it? Obviously, Perry ran away with number one dog all breeds this year very early, but the group competitions were pretty tough, like through the middle of summer and obviously the hound group into Orlando and things like that. You know, rankings are something that it's a peculiar thing because there's some of us that are very much into it and like, we talk about it on a week in a week out base just because to us it is entertaining. It's part of our game. It's part of our sport. But to some other people, they have no idea. They have who's number one hound, who was number one hound in 2017, or who was number two, right? That's the painful right. part. But this year we had so many young people. You had Blake and Ariel in the Terry group, and obviously Margie was right there with them. And 
me and Joanne and there were people like Keith Potts and Robin right there in the top mm-hmm. five. So, mm-hmm. you know, it's just an interesting thing that is such a niche. I don't even know how to explain it. Right. 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 So talk to us a little bit about, you know, I did a podcast about this ages ago and I'll link it in the show notes, but talking about planning, I'm planning, I've got this dog, I'm looking around, I'm evaluating the competition, I'm evaluating my dog, I'm evaluating my budget. Talk about some of those steps that you guys go through when you're getting ready to run, whether it's for the number one dog all breeds or just to have a number one dog in your breed, whatever it is that's applicable across the board to people who are making these kind of decisions. Absolutely. So like there's so much that goes into it. And you talked a little bit about budget. That's normally where you start with this conversation with clients, because as we all know, it is very expensive. The higher, you know, you go up the echelons of winning. So for example, the conversation I typically have with a client at the beginning of the year, whether you know how much winning the dog has done the year before, whether you're first starting, you know, you go hard through March and see how Mm -hmm. it goes where you're at. You know, are you talking about you're placing a lot in groups? You're not placing a lot of groups, but you're winning 75% of your breeds, depending on what breed that's in too. Right. That also, you know, we talked about rare rare breeds. breeds. Right. Josie typically had competition maybe 50% of the time. Oakley had competition maybe 25% of the time. So, you know, depending on where you're at in the country, depending on the competition you're in week in, week out, all those things matter. You know, if you're in a breed rich area. So like if I was campaigning a Spinoni in the Midwest where every single weekend there's four or five, you know, that's a huge advantage when you're working on trying to be number one breed points. Then, you know, you go from there. Once you start winning more breeds, you see if you can start placing in more groups. For example, this year with Josie, I mean, my goal was to be a top 10 sporting dog. That was going into it. We knew she had had a couple best of shows already by the end of last year. So that was our goal for this year. You know, you never go into a year like I'm going to be number one sporting dog. I mean, I was never (laughs) taught that at least. You go into the year. We'll see how it goes. You know, I'll never forget having the conversation with Phil. I think it was in May. I think we were at Bucks in Trenton. And I said, do you think you can be number one sporting dog. And he said, well, it kind of looks like number one sporting dog is going to be number one dog all breeds. And obviously that was a very tight race with Robin and the Springer. And, you know, those are things you don't really say when they're happening. I'll never forget the conversation Adam and I had about Katie and Ty when we were like, oh, running for number one working dog. And then come August, we were like, hey, she's kind of close to this thing here. So those races, those high end top dog races, they kind of just happen. It's not something you like, I'm going to be number one dog all breeds or I'm going to be number one sporting dog. They just happen. They just happen. Well, sometimes (laughs) they happen because you have lots of good planning and lots of luck and a decent budget. So those are things that not everybody has, right? So 100%. what you can do, what I can give to everybody is the planning component. So I thought you made a really great point about geographic location makes such a difference in your breed and whether you can place in groups and whether you can't. And maybe sometimes it involves going out of a given area or to a given area when you're planning for some of this. Absolutely. I mean, we are all blessed in the Northeast. We have the opportunity to go from within six hours. There's handfuls of shows every weekend. Go a little bit further, you know, depending on the breed. For example, Ridgebacks. I like to go into Ohio and Michigan because they have big numbers on average weekends. And then when you get to your bigger, 
they have huge numbers. So personally, I would rather drive eight hours to Michigan from where I live in central Pennsylvania (laughs) than drive the six hours to New England because A, traffic in Mm -hmm. New York City, but B, the competition is very different. Right. In my groups, at least, sporting and pound, right. the Northeast is tough in those two groups. Mm-hmm. So those are definitely things that go into it. And then you talk about budgeting for ads, too. So like mm-hmm. every handler has their typical feel. This is what I charge for board, you know, because that's the first thing everybody asks. How much is it right. going to cost me a month? Well, it all depends on a lot of things. How many shows are you doing a month? How much are you winning? where you're going, how much expenses are, how many other dogs I have. I typically like to carry fewer dogs. So my expenses are much higher than somebody that's got 30 dogs. Mm-hmm. But you also have more one-on-one time with your dogs. I don't take two pound specials. I don't take two sporting specials because I'm not two people. I can't physically do that. Right. So those are all things that go into it. And this comes down to, which is something I know you've talked about many times, ask the right questions to find the right handler for you. Yes. And that all goes into planning campaign and all of those things. A lot of people get taken advantage of, maybe not even on purpose, but people think they can do things or think it's going to go a certain way, but they really don't have any idea. And I think having the knowledge, having the background, it matters. As I have said before, I'm not going to go ask my mechanic to do brain surgery. I want someone who knows what they're doing. Yep. That's me. And I think that that's part of the planning process. Whether you're planning to hire a handler, great. If you want to be an owner handler, that's fine too, but you still have to do the planning and you have to know who's where. Yep. I can remember when I showed dogs in the Northwest and we had three of the top 10 springers in the country in the ring every weekend. And I moved to Nebraska and there was nobody. (laughs) Right. Unless Robin came down, there was literally one pet springer. And I kept telling people, I'm like, please, God, send me a Springer special. Like, it's wide open, people. So I think those kinds of knowledge doesn't just randomly happen. No, absolutely not. And then you still have those people, or at least I have people that I call on Monday to talk things through, having those sounding boards to talk about judges and think about things and make the connections that oh man, I never even thought about that person was going to point to that person or things like that. Absolutely. Completely experience-based knowledge. Right. And people that will give you honest evaluations. Again, whether you're a handler or an owner handler, you need someone to say, dude, bring the underline up. She looks like a dachshund, like whatever. You know? yeah. No, absolutely. And that's something that we talk about often in my friend group and we cherish about each other because we are brutally honest with each other. And actually, Peter, we just had this conversation down in Florida and one of our other good friends, but not as in this every single weekend group of friends, Mm -hmm. he came around and he was like, that was terrible, wasn't it? And I was like, yeah. And he was like, it wasn't that bad. And he was like, no, I looked at Kelly because I wanted to hear the truth. And that's something that we really cherish in our group of friends because it's so important. You can't be better if the people around you don't want to help you be better. Yes. I want to frame that right there. (laughs) I do. That is so important in life and in dogs. Choose your circle wisely. And if you choose to have a circle full of oh, it's somebody else's fault or it's bad politics or it's, you know, terrible judges. Look great, look great, look great. Yeah, and um, that's not <laughs> useful and it's not going to help you succeed. Right. It might make you feel better, but it isn't going to make you better. Hang tight, guys. Got a little bit of information for you. We'll be right back to the podcast. 
in a minute. Heads up, crew. We have a super exciting opportunity for all 291,000 of you. Uh, right? We want to hear from you. What products and services do you love in the dog world? Through March, you will find a link to a quick survey at puredogtalk.com to give us that information. And because I know it can seem daunting to carve five minutes out of a jam-packed day, I am prepared to bribe you. <laughs> For real, everyone who completes the survey this month will receive one free Pure Pep Talk mentoring message and be entered in a series of drawings. The grand prize winner will receive one full year paid membership in our amazing patrons group. Additional prizes include a free download of the audiobook, Auntie Laura's Beginner's Guide to Show Dogs, a free download of the first aid kit video with Dr. Marty Greer, and free Pure Dog Talk wine tumblers. So hey, take a couple minutes, swing by puredogtalk.com and complete your survey for the good of the order and a chance at some extra goodies. So the final topic, I really want to touch on this. There's a lot of emo involved with this, so I get it. But it's been a year for all of us. It's been a year. And bouncing back from like utter devastation, whether it's death, whether it's injury, whether it is any of those things, talk to us about that and how people can use some of those lessons for their own grit and determination. Yeah. So we had a lot happen this year, but affected me the most was my breaking my ankle in August. So I was at Tampa. I had gotten two beautiful, incredible lineup best in shows on Josie. Saturday night, we went out to celebrate. Long story short, flip-flops tripped me and I broke my ankle in three places. Went to the hospital, had surgery immediately Sunday morning. So between that midnight and 6 a.m. when the residents started coming in, called my mother, called my husband, all those kinds of things. My mom flew down to get my van with my dogs in it. All of the people at the dog show that I had contacted got the dog shown that day, which wasn't nearly as important as it was just like, please take care of my dogs. They're in the building. So luckily, already that first weekend, I had amazing people step up and help me out. My mom got the dogs home, clients picked them up, everything was good with the dogs. So then I was sitting in a hospital for a couple of days down there, went to my father's. I couldn't fly home until like the Thursday after because of blood clots. I was doing shots. It was horrible, horrible pain, something I wouldn't wish on anyone. So I'm terrified of narcotics. I was literally on the narcotics just through the flight. And then I was off of them because I'm very scared of them. So I was in a lot of pain, just Tylenol and Advil, things like that. At home, my husband had to redo his dog room so that I could have a bed on the same floor as a bathroom in the kitchen, even though I couldn't really do anything. The first four weeks, I literally could basically do nothing except for get up to go to the bathroom and go back to bed. He brought me all my food and everything like that. I stayed for a couple of days at my mom's and my grandmother's and they helped me. She had an ADA bathroom built for my grandmother's in the new house. So anyways... I have a four-year-old son, so that was really hard. 
I tried to embrace my time at home. So the eight weeks that I was in bed was the most I have ever spent in my house with my husband without going to a dog show. So I tried to embrace that time with him and with my son. It was really hard. I had really bad days, but I had amazing people checking in on me. Jody and Livia took my six wire hairs that I have of my own just to like be less for what Ed had to take care of. We have two separate dog rooms. So he moved all of his dogs out to my kennel. My uncle drove those six dogs out to Indiana and split them up between their two kennels. So that was eight weeks that my husband didn't have to worry about that many extra dogs. And wire hairs at that. They're a lot of dogs. They're a lot of dog. They all need yard time. They need stimulation. And we have our own packs, like my group that goes out and his. So it just helped immensely that they took those dogs off our hands. So then in recovery, my bones healed fast. I was on all of these supplements. I had so many amazing people reach out and tell me stories of woe, stories of grandeur, all these things <laughs> of getting better and, oh, you're never going to walk right again, or you're going to be running in no time, you know, but it was incredible. Like people that I've never talked to, people that I'm just friends with on Facebook. And then I had the people in my life that have always been there for me, checking on me every day. I can't tell you how many times I called Katie or Joanne or Megan just bullying. I just had bad days. I mean, I mm-hmm. was on the cusp. We were winning a lot. Josie had had like a few really good months and obviously Joanne's one of my best friends, but it looked green. You know, the pasture was looking pretty good. You were pushing her. Yeah, exactly. So it was devastating and it's so stupid. How does something so stupid? I've never broken a bone. So my my takeaway from all of this is (laughs) flip-flops are banned at dog shows. Just FYI. Yes. Yeah. Never again. They were never allowed in my setup. So I'm saying my number one takeaway, all y'all out there, no flip-flops. They're deadly. <laughs> literally. So stupid. And I love flip-flops. I lived in Brazil for three years. So I literally lived in flip-flops for three years. I was so mad. But anyways, I just keep telling myself, I've always said this to all my friends that are going through things. Everything happens for a reason. This wasn't the year for me to be number one sporting dog. It'll be fine. Well, Josie ended up, she was shown six weekends since August Obviously, she had an amazing week in Orlando. Phil Booth showed her three weekends and a reserve, multiple groups, lots of placements. I tried to come back beginning of November in Doswell. I ran around the ring twice and I was like, oh, I'm not ready for this. So I won the group under Doug and then Peter Kubas came in and took her over and she went best in show. And then he and Angie and a couple others helped me that weekend to get her through that weekend. And then that was the beginning of November. I showed her in Philadelphia. The first day Peter lost the breed on her. It was like one of the only breeds she lost this year. So then I showed her the rest of the weekend and I limped around the ring. It was not pretty, but I did it. And I was pretty sore by Sunday, but I did get to win an amazing group of Philadelphia honor. And then my biggest goal though, was to be back for Orlando. And I felt pretty good. I mean, just walking around Orlando was a lot for me, but I did get to show my other few breeds and, Yeah, she obviously had an amazing week winning two groups there to end her amazing career. I mean, she's a Spinoni. Who would ever thought she's done what she's done? Yeah, Spinoni don't do what she's done. There is no (laughs) doubt about it. There have been literally six Best in Show winners in the breed since it was recognized 22 years ago. So, Yeah. yeah, Spinoni don't do this. Right. Talk a little bit about, you know, you talked about the bad days, but what were your... Talk to your friends, get the support system, do the PT, 
reach out. Right. And PT, I didn't talk about PT. My physical therapist was amazing. So I was assigned a woman. And then there was a guy in the office that like, he covered me on, she did Mondays, Tuesdays, and Thursdays. She, she was the actual physical therapist. And then he was an assistant. So I worked with him on Wednesdays and Fridays because I wanted to go three days a week. I was like, I'm doing this. You know, I'm fairly athletic. I've worked out my whole life. I've always played sports and things like that. He pushed me and he was amazing. And I, Josh, shout out therapeutics. He kicked my butt and, you know, you want to do it? Let's do it. And she had originally told me I wouldn't run till January. And obviously I started running in November. It wasn't pretty, but I was running on treadmill and I did a lot of bike. I mean, I was doing box jumps. I was doing grapevines. He pushed me every day. It was a workout. And that's actually why I'm pretty sure I've lost so much weight. I thought that it was just from muscle, but I really was like working hard at those workouts. It was basically like a personal trainer to get back at it. And that was, I mean, I had so much determination because I wanted to show her in Orlando. I wanted to do it. You know, I think so much of what we do in this sport applies to life. And I think that that level of determination, and I see it in all of the people. And we were just talking about some of the young people coming up. I think about Joanne and some of the things that she went through this year. And it's, I talk about it all the time. Kids that grow up in juniors, kids that compete in this sport, just develop as adults into amazing humans, I believe. Absolutely. I mean, you just learn so much. So many life skills in dealing with death is something that we learn from dealing with these dogs. We lost a lot of great dogs at our house this year. It was a rough year for that. And when Jamie died, we all were a mess. We thank God we were all together up there in New England when it happened. But it's a really hard thing. It's a horrible thing. It's something that in our generation, because we are so young, we were all just so shocked. No one expected it. It was so out of the blue. And that's such a hard, hard thing to deal with when it is so shocking like that. And for somebody like Joanne that was so close with her, that she'd been there this year for her, you know, she's running top sporting dogs. So we all need our people. We all call our people when we're driving different places and we're driving through the night. You know, we all have to be there for each other. And it just was so shocking and so hard and just a terrible thing. I mean, it just still to this day, right? We're still all shocked by it. Right. It was a year right? Too many. (laughs) Yeah. I did a whole podcast on that. (laughs) But I think that my admiration is for the dedication. Dedication to the dog, dedication to the sport, dedication to getting it right in a breed that you've never touched. Yeah. And the first one I ever touched. (laughs) Yeah. Pretty much the first Spinoni you ever touch, you take to record shattering. (laughs) I give you mad props because that's not something easy to do. Speaking as someone who's done it, I'm telling you. (laughs) Right. Well, and that's the thing, you know, obviously I couldn't have done it without you and Stacy helping me learning about the breed and sending you pictures for the first two years of her life. Like, is this right? Is this how I'm supposed to groom this fan or whatever the hell you want to call it on the top of her head? All the breed specific things. And, you know, that's something that I learned from people like Phil and Angie and Kelly. Know your standard. You have to know about the breed that you are presenting to be able to do it right. Whether it's a new breed for you or whether it's your breed, like wire hairs, things like that, you need to be able to quote that standard. You need to be able to say those things when people ask you, or why is she like this? Why do you have her underline like that? Well, they're supposed to have a flat underline. That's everything about Spinoni's is so anti sporting dog of what's in our brain. So, like, 
I read that standard probably 30 times this year, well, the past couple of years. It's just so breed specific. And that's such an important part of our job to be able to present the dog, groom the dog and do everything correctly for that breed and to be an ambassador for the breed. And to not turn the Spinoni into just another brown dog that you can't tell from a wire hair or a Griffon. Absolutely. That is something that I think too many people lose sight of when we're working with handlers, particularly in rare breeds, to have someone willing, and I said this to you, to honor the breed, to honor the standard, to honor the presentation, to not crank her ears up on the top of her head and jack her tail up and poke her in the stomach so her top line was level, right? (laughs) (laughs) The tail was the hardest part when I started. The tail, like that natural flow of like tickling the tail and like... Every time Adam ever helped me groom her, he would always touch her tail. I'm like, don't touch her tail. It's so hard because everything is anti-sporting dog. It's just backwards. It is backwards. Trust me. The first one I showed and he was on a roll and he was a best in show winner and it's her grandfather and people would help me because he was winning like crazy. And so I had another special. I didn't expect him to come on. And so there's always some other handler have to take him back in the group ring. No ears, no tail. Yes, his top line is supposed to look like that. Slow down. I mean, literally, that's literally the spiel right there. No ears, no tail. Yes, it's supposed to look like that. Go slow. Yeah. <laughs> and it's so hard for people like us who come from other sporting breeds. And I think so many handlers fail this test, frankly. Yeah. They fail the test. I definitely think that's something that separates, I don't know the nice way to say that, but. The cream rises to the top, dude. You know, and that goes back to dedication. I mean, yeah, it is important for me to read a standard before I show something new or before I'm going to try and do something that specific, a Spinoni. But I mean, it doesn't matter. Even the Ridgeback, you know, I have a new Ridgeback special this year. I showed one last year. I'm still going to reread the standard again a couple of times. You know, it just is a knowledge thing. It's people that want to learn and the greats never stop learning. That's just the truth. I mean, the greats keep asking questions and you're always learning and you're always learning from those around you. So. And refining and refining and refining. I'm like, it's so close, but it means this, or it's so close, but I have to do this other thing. And it could be better if I did this. Yeah. And that's why we go back to those mentors in our life. Those people that we have the most respect for. Yeah. Well, Kelly, I appreciate you tremendously on many levels. And I know that you will do good things and I appreciate your time and I appreciate taking care of my Josie Joe. Yeah. Finger crossed for babies. Babies. (laughs) Yay, babies. Right on, what was it? Christmas Eve? (laughs) Christmas Eve. She's got (laughs) fun. Yeah. Yeah. And you know what? Let's touch on this really quick because I think this is super important for people to hear and think about. Anybody who watched her in the Best in Show lineup at Orlando saw an out of character for her normal presentation. And we have always got to remember dogs are dogs. They're not machines. She was ready to be bred and over it. And okay, that's what it is. Yeah. Everybody's like, oh, she looks so beautiful. I know those of us that know her the best know she showed incredible in the group, was flawless in the group. And then she waited all day on Sunday with literally the building being broken down around her. I took her over to wait for Best in Show in the curtain area because they were dropping all of the pipe and drape on the ground around her crate. Yeah. So yeah, she was over it and did not (laughs) want to go around. Her individual was fine. It wasn't great. It was was fine. fine. 
And then her last go around, I was like, are you going to be in the ring? What is happening? I watched her. I'm like, oh, that's a spinny bitch move. <laughs> Literally. She has never done that to me. And I was just like, yeah, you would want this upper hand, wouldn't you? <laughs> so, yeah. So that was my last go around with her, you know. Yep. Treasuring that our dogs are dogs. Yeah. And honoring that and understanding and being able to recognize when, you know, over here. She's done. She done. She said so. <laughs> yep. She waited to come in season so that she could be shown in Orlando. And now she said, I'm done. So Peace there out, we dude. go. <laughs> yep. And she deserves every minute of laying on the couch. So 100%. 100%. I mean, there's a whole nother conversation about how, as a professional handler, owner handler, however you're doing it, how you work with dogs to keep them sane through a long campaign. And I know, (laughs) I know the links that you went to with Josie. She had special everything. And I know the things that I've done in years past. I mean, that's a whole nother conversation we can take on another time. But just remembering that they're dogs. They're not machines. They are not there about your ego. You're there to take care of them. Absolutely. Excellent. As always, if you have any questions or input, we'd love to hear from you. The show notes and links to resources on today's topic are available at puredogtalk.com. Drop us a note in the comments or email to laura at puredogtalk.com. Remember, guys, this podcast is for you. So if you want to know something, give me a holler. We'll do a podcast for you. If you wouldn't mind, you could help me out here. Take a couple minutes to visit iTunes and give us a review. The Dog Show Superintendents Association is a proud supporter of Pure Dog Talk. Our Dog Show Superintendents are the hardworking people who make the dog show function. They are advocates for education and mentorship in the purebred dog fancy. So stop by the Supers Desk at your next show. Tell them how much you love Pure Dog Talk and give them a shout out for their support. That's all for today. Thank you for joining us on Pure Dog Talk.